You know, anytime human beings gather together and talk to one another, they may all think they're on the same page, but very frequently, they're not. This is especially true at, for example, family gatherings, Christmas, Thanksgiving, maybe when the wine or the beer is flowing a little more freely than usual, and pretty soon you start to realize that, well, I thought Uncle Tony thought about this thing this way, but actually I'm beginning to think that he might be deeply, deeply weird. The same thing goes true for the workplace. It's a bunch of people all doing their separate tasks, in theory, to help the company make money and be successful. But even in places like that, human beings are interacting with other human beings and, well, they talk about stuff that has nothing to do with work. Any of us who've ever worked in an office environment know that they can sometimes become hotbeds of distrust, misinformation, rumors, and even conspiracy theories. To talk about that with me today is Andrew Brown, co-founder of the Academy of Business Communications. Hello, Andrew. How are you? I am excellent, Derek, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast today, and welcome to all your uh, loyal listeners. I'd like to thank Andrew for talking to me today and all of you for listening. Of course, check the episode notes for links to the uh, Academy of Business Communications and other things talked about in here. And if you like what we do, you can donate via our Buy Me A Coffee page. Links in the episode notes. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Actually, you know what? Why don't we go ahead and we'll just do a teeny bit of background on what ABC is. Uh, thank you, Derek. The Academy of Business Communications is a company that helps organizations make sure their employee communications suck less. <laughs> uh, employee, commu- employee communications is an area where leaders, middle managers, uh, frontline managers uh, have assumed for decades that because they listen, they listen well, because they write, they write well, because they speak, they speak well. Well, you know, all good intentions, but the sad truth is that people within organizations are just like everyone else. There's some good and there's some not so good skills running around. And so we help harness employee communication so that organizations can rally the troops, get their messages aligned, keep them authentic, and help organizations thrive. Well, that seems like a very noble cause. It does sound like that, doesn't it? 
So, yeah, you know how it is. Uh, a bunch of people get together and there are always it's it's a little bit like high school. A lot of office environments I myself have worked in uh, remind me a bit of high school. Where you get these you do. You just have cliques. You get the cool kids. You get the nerds. You get the outcasts. You got the stinky guy. Uh, you got all these different people. And especially over time, you really do start to see these sort of a microcosm of society start to play out there in the in the cubicle farm. Quite right. And I was a rocker. Okay, just to go on the record. So I was one with a with a long hair that no person, no one understood because I was listening to rock music. But you're right. There are cliques, there are subgroups, and each of those have its own, if you will, culture. That is a set of values, a set of stories, a way of behaving that's acceptable, and that happens within organizations. So one of the things that drives me crazy about uh, working in an office environment, which is one of the reasons I don't do that anymore, uh, is the um, the non-work-related stuff, the personality clashes, the rumors, the weird ways that people try and undermine each other and undercut each other. If there's a hierarchical sort of promotion system, the way that people will try and stomp on others in order to get ahead over their fellow co-workers and so on. This is typical, right? This is true in even smaller organizations. Well, I think it's fair to say that office politics, the struggle for power, and power takes many forms in organizations, but all organizations have to grapple with that. And some are more effective than others. But to your point, there are conspiracies, if you will, or rumors that fly around organizations. And in fact, I'd argue that conspiracy theories, you know, whether it's around COVID or about who's sleeping with whom or why someone is paid more than someone else or or who stole my gosh darn yogurt from the fridge. All those rumors, all those conspiracies really are a flavor of rumors. And if we really examine it, there are, if you will, three different levels as to why rumors take hold in organizations. And if you'll bear with me, I'll go through the three levels. And I think that we also have to ask a question, why now? Why at a particular point in time do rumors take hold? I'm going to break it down again to three levels. Level one, individual. As human beings, we're always looking to make sense of our lives. And rumors are just like any story. They're a part of our attempt to ground ourselves. And why is that? Because as soon as we believe something to be true or make sense, you know what? We don't have to find in others sometimes more unpleasant or more complicated answer to the problem. So rumors provide us with, if you will, a psychological comfort. You know, when we feel uncertain about things, having a rumor to hold on to provides us with a sense of comfort and knowing and power over those things that we feel uncontrollable or uncomfortable. Uh, I was just going to say, it almost gives like the illusion of a sense of control. Like I can't control the events or, you know, the pay structure or something at least like that. But at least I know what's going on. Exactly. And I don't have to think about it. It's resolved, if you will, right? And as hunters and gatherers, as a species, you know, we always were looking for those things that uh, we could rely on so that we didn't have to be concerned that someone was going to stab us with a spear, 
right? We look for that. That is hardwired into us. So that's at that individual level. But of course, organizations are also very social animals, right? So there's the group level. That's the second level. We're always getting cues from one another as to what is acceptable and therefore what we must do to truly be accepted in a group. So when someone acknowledges, accepts, and even spreads rumors, that's a way that they sort of identify as being a member of a specific group and, of course, of not of other groups. And, and let's not forget that in a group, if you're seen to have a secret or a privileged knowledge or the inside scoop or an answer that simplifies and makes comfortable something that's complex, you get social power. Mm, that's your social currency, exactly. Exactly. And there's, there's reinforcement, right? That group crops up someone's importance. And again, that ties back to the individual level, a sense of self-importance. Great. Look at what the group has done. It's, it validated me. And of course, social power ties to the third level, the organizational level. So let's talk about organizations right there. As you said, there are hotbeds of stories, right? In fact, organization culture is often defined largely as the stories that are told and remembered within a specific geography, a specific company. For example, you know, we've all heard of origin stories or stories of great success or um, those stories where colleagues are promoted or fired, which, you know, as an aside is why it's so darn important for organizations to capture and retell important stories that epitomize the values and the behaviors that are important for that company to thrive. So, you know, when you think about rumors, trying to strip storytelling, and that's, again, uh, rumors are a form of story, trying to strip those from organizations simply cannot happen. And finally, you know, organizations aren't impermeable bubbles, right, that are magically excluded from the stories that are told in the community or within an industry or within a geography or even within a particular period of time. All that messy outside of the organization context also can be the source of and amplifies rumors within organizations. So that's that in a nutshell is, again, the, those three levels, individual, group, and organization. So to my mind, I'm going to jump, unless you, unless you put the brakes on me, Derek, I'm going to jump to what I think is, is an important related question. And that is for organizations, they have to answer the question, why now? That is, what are the conditions that have brought about so that the rumor can take hold in organizations? And luckily, there's been research done on this in why are organizations fertile ground for rumors taking hold? And simply put, rumors rise and spread with any two of the following three conditions apply. Okay. So you just need two out of three and it, and it will happen. Two out of three. Exactly. In fact, most of the time, all three exist, but two of the three. The first condition is uncertainty, right? That could be job uncertainty, uncertainty about, hey, you know, we're coming back from COVID, right? Are, are people coming back? Who's coming back? Who's going to be doing what? Where are people going to be working? And, you know, this hybrid workplace, there's a lot of built-in uncertainty. And of course, whenever there's a merger, an acquisition, uh, a restructuring, a downsizing, and a shifting to a, a different geographic region, an office move, right? All that increases uncertainty. But, you know, uncertainty has to be 
bundled with at least one other condition. Now, the second condition is risk, right? If there was no risk of any of those changes, then the stakes wouldn't be high and people wouldn't care and look for answers. So there has to be a sense of risk. And again, we're talking COVID times. Uh, can you think of a uh, risk that's higher than people getting sick and dying? Because quite frankly, I can't. Risk meaning potentially negative outcome for me and mine. Exactly. Well put. The third condition is a gap in trust. Now, trust of leaders, trust of managers, or even of fellow colleagues, we always assume when we're talking about organizations that leaders are trusted. Heck, most leaders believe that they are trusted by their employees. But the nature of trust is challenging, isn't it? It's fragile. And the unfortunate truth is um, that most organizations don't really know how to establish, grow, sustain, and protect this all-important trust. So it's quite likely that the trust you hope your leaders have, if you're dealing with rumors, just isn't there. And if they're the ones crafting or sharing messages, you could actually be doing more damage than good by using the leaders. So about, again, these three conditions almost universally arise during any big company change. As I said, you know, mergers, acquisition, all those it can be even the smaller chain, someone being promoted, a technology being ramped out. That's huge. It seems like such a small thing, but speak to any project manager and you'll find human resource manager and you'll see that there's churn when there's technology being rolled out. So uncertainty, risk, and trust, those are the things that need to be addressed if you're going to address rumors. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, a story my wife's mother uh, used to tell of when, you know, she was a, a secretary for an executive secretary for a long, long time. And then they said, OK, we're bringing in personal computers in the 80s. And she was like, I'm sorry, we're doing what? And she, you know, she's like, I, I'm, I've been doing this for ages here. I can't learn how to. I mean, she was absolutely beside herself. She was worried she couldn't sleep. Uh, very well. She she didn't really eat. She was just like a kind of a mess. And so that bled over into her regular life. And then because she's not eating and sleeping correctly there, that bleeds back. And so it creates this kind of negative feedback loop over and over where she just got more and more almost hysterical about, oh, I'm never going to learn this. And that actually did prevent her from mastering personal computers at first she eventually got it and then she was like ah, i don't know what i was so worried about but during that time period she was extremely uh, unsteady right and that makes sense right we can all relate to that there, again great deal of uncertainty she didn't know what was going to happen there was a risk because of her job and a sense of self what is she going to be doing and that would be the time when if someone came to her and said, yeah, you know what, they're restructuring and uh, we're going to be losing all our jobs. You know, she would have probably been more suggestible at that time. And if you layer on top of that, if she didn't trust her manager who was saying things like, you know, we're going to skill you up. You know, there are going to be some bumps on the road, but we're going to make sure that you're supported on this because we need you. You've got organizational knowledge. You've got a skill set that's important to us. Uh, we like working with you. We believe you provide value. If there wasn't someone there or she didn't trust that person, well, then again, Fertile ground for rumors. 
you know, all of this too, it kind of uh, brings me to mind almost of uh, Maslow's needs hierarchy. Keep in mind, we're talking about uh, businesses and, and companies, but this goes for anything. This goes for a school, this goes for a class, this goes for a theater company, uh, this even just goes for a, a weekend touch football team. This is true for any time human animals get together in aggregate, you know. But the, the first thing is like physiological needs, physical needs, there's uh, warmth, there's uh, food, there's water, there's a toilet. And, you know, haha, we say, well, of course, a company has those things. Well, you know, back in the early days of the Industrial Revolution, maybe not. So just the fact that we have that guaranteed is a step up, I think. <laughs> that is, yes. And, and in fact, I, I'd done some research uh, years ago on taking a look at Maslow hierarchy and taking a look at some of the uh, more recent literature suggesting that different cohorts value things slightly differently. It's a great framework because all the buckets are there, but as people are at work in the, you know, the Gen X, the Gen Y, the Gen Z, some of the priorities at that hierarchy actually shifts a bit. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. So just to, just to toss out there for those that don't know what it is, it's physical safety. And then after you have that dealt with, your physical needs, it's security and the feeling of not being in danger. And then once that dealt is dealt with, you can get into uh, belonging, friendship, uh, cohorts or tribal affiliation, if you will. And then after that, once that's dealt with, you can then get into feelings of prestige and feelings of accomplishment. And that's about where most companies and organizations stop. They never really get to the top part, which is the self-actualization, which is like self-actualization. Yeah. Yeah. How to, how to fulfill yourself and grow as a person and, and yes, as a worker. But I think most companies or many companies in the past, certainly that was just like, what is that hippie crap? We got our, what are you talking about? Just do your job. Well, I think that over the last few decades, there's there've been some great strides in that area. And they're just like anything, right? There are organizations that are, some are more enlightened than others. And some will believe that, you know, we actually want to harness the enthusiasm, the hearts and minds, if you will, of employees. And some are better than others. Now, when it comes to rumors, companies too also have a, let's say a way to tackle it, a playbook, if you will. But the reality is that most don't have the skills in-house to do it well. And quite frankly, it's uncomfortable to deal with rumors. Yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the time they escalated up to an HR company, I should think, because it used to be HR was like one or two people in an office. And now, like, there are these professional HR companies like, no, it's got to escalate up to them. Let them deal with it. Yeah. Um, and HR people, we've got a number of clients at HR that are great at what they do, but perhaps not equipped to deal with rumors. And organizations typically, let's say, have an approach. I said a playbook, maybe that's a bit optimistic. Let, let's say they have an approach, a handful of things that they will typically do. Often the first standpoint is they don't even acknowledge the rumors going on. They avoid it. You know, think of it as the no comment approach. 
you can understand why it's they're uncomfortable. And again, if what is giving roots to the rumors is that uncertainty, the the high risk and gap in trust, uh, it's tough to tackle those. So again, don't acknowledge them. That's that's an approach. Another approach is distract. Right. Let's push through a whole bunch of messages in the hopes that people will will forget. Uh, that rumor from flying around. An other approach, I call it the daddy says approach. So the leaders call everyone together and they push this message across and say, there, wash the hands with it. I'm done, right? Right. And so are you, damn it. Exactly, exactly. They try to bury it. And some also package that with a, a survey, right? It's, oh, let's let's find out what's happening. But it's, it's more, I would call listening theater, right? It's not genuinely trying to understand But underlying all these tactics is the assumption that the organization knows where the rumors are coming from, which they often don't, that they can stamp them out because they have control over hearts and minds and that they control every channel. And they don't. Oh, and another one is to bribe people. I've been in organizations where uh, they'll try to call in people that they see as being the leaders of the rumors or uh, ones that tell the rumors and try to bribe them and show them that things aren't all that bad. But none of these methods really or these tactics really require listening to people and hearing them. And none of them deal with the root causes of uncertainty, risk, and trust. And yet, like you said, they very I often don't know where the the rumors are, are coming from. You know, the assumption is always, I think, and, and my personal experience has often been, very often it comes from like just like one bad apple. There's that person. God knows what's going on in their life. They just kind of poison the water everywhere they go. It's almost like they delight in the chaos that they're causing. How 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 are you supposed to handle that? Besides firing them. <laughs> well, we found that our rumors tend to be more systemic. And when you have a fertile ground, uh, yes, there's there are rabble rousers. There's no doubt. And there are or passionate people. They could be people that have been with the organization for 20 years and really believe in the organization and believe in its mandate. And they want to see it succeed. But it's that fertile ground. The, the methods that we just talked about aren't as effective as they used to be. And there's reason, there are certain reasons. Why? First, I would say rumors don't fit neatly in a box, right? They span offices, they permeate discussions, uh, they linger for days, weeks, or years. Uh, you know, if you've ever lived through an acquisition or a merger, some rumors live on for years. Even even when it, even when the the surface justification for those rumors is gone, it's still there. Even if nothing else, just a generalized suspicious attitude. Exactly. Again, and I think that that reinforces that there has to be a fertile ground. The other reasons why all those methods don't work, let's face it, technologies are available today for spreading rumors and building on them faster than ever before. And we rely on those very technologies for getting work done. Do you really think a company is going to shut down its Slack, its Zoom meetings, its emails, its intranets? It's just not going to happen, right? It's going to it's going to put one of those uh, one of those Israeli uh, cell cell phone blockers. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or, or pet technology that watches people, right? Which again, if you're concerned about trust, that's not the way to go about feeling away. Also, internal rumors can spread to becoming external rumors, right? And, you know, when you think about Indeed, Glassdoor, and Google reviews, you know, people saying, what's it like to actually work in a place? And, and that can have an impact on recruiting. And those rumors, uh, once spread out, can have an impact on the ability to close new deals or getting partners to refer to you or suppliers working with you. So this prevents that old stamping out and distracting and bribing and daddy says approach it renders all those tactics illegitimate. And I'd also just add, add that employees, generally speaking, from sort of the ages of 25 to 50, sort of the Gen Z, are really a cohort that demands transparency more than ever at work. Millennials, certainly, like it's just a given. And Gen Zers who are now entering the workforce, they just seem to consider it a given. Like they're almost befuddled when there isn't transparency. They're kind of like, wait, what? I asked you a question and the answer is none of my business. What kind of an answer is that? (laughs) (laughs) And anyone that's managed an organization knows that there can be transparency. That doesn't mean telling everything to everyone. That's not transparency. But there is that sense from that group, as you say, they are looking for transparency, although they don't always define it well. People aren't always good at explaining the reason why behaviors happen or why policies are in place so that it's it's a dynamic that has to be addressed. And, And the group also was skeptical of authority. And finally, add to that, the emotional connection that this cohort has for companies is generally weaker. That is, they don't see work as a reason for living. And of course, that emotional connection is made weaker when there's not a physical sharing of space during COVID. So when you combine the cohorts, when you talk about how quickly rumors can spread, the the reliance on technologies and the messiness of rumors, you see, you know what, all those other methods typically used for dealing with rumors ain't going to cut it anymore. It would seem to me that if uncertainty, uh, risk or, you know, uh, danger and then trust are the three factors that uh, very much contribute to that kind of pick a little, talk a little environment. It would seem to me that the way to counteract those is to do the opposites. If there's uncertainty, create certainty. If there's people feel like they're at risk in some way, assure them that they're not and give them proof. If they don't trust you, find out what you would have to do in order for them to trust you and then do those things. Is that just too simplistic? Well, your approach is bang on, but in organizational life, how when you get a bunch of people and they're working in different areas, they may not fully understand what one another do because of specializations. They may work in different geographies, different time zones, different tasks. There is endemic, hate to use that word at this time, but yes, it takes an enlightened, deliberate series of intentions in order to keep uncertainty down in order to help people understand the risk to the company, to their departments, to the to the individuals. It takes effort to build and sustain trust because, again, trust is very fragile. And there are a number of things that lead into trust. And again, you can't assume that's it. But you're right. 
companies should not try to, should, they shouldn't try to focus on trying to convince someone that what they believe is wrong, right? It should be about creating a work environment where rumors don't take hold in the first place. And as you said, those three elements. So that's the first thing that they should do. Second, I'm going to give it in a bucket of three. Second, there is a difference between rumors and behaviors coming out of rumors, right? Because if I believe something and I, that might be batshit crazy and I act on it, that might hurt a colleague, that might damage the reputation for the firm. The company needs to have policies for behaviors that are damaging to their business, to their reputation, to fellow communities or the community at large. So if a rumor sparks damaging or dangerous behavior, they need to have those policies and implement them. And how they do also sends a strong message to the rest of the workforce and really reinforces what is truly valued in a company. So we can't forget that rumors can jump to behaviors. Third thing to do is start prioritizing rumors, right? And there are two dimensions that really should be considered. One, the damaging nature of the rumor, that is... If this rumor spreads and lingers and is believed, what implications are there for the business? And the second dimension is the number of people or offices who are affected by the rumor. And because some rumors are very contained to a department or an office or even a specific time period. And of course, you've always got to be monitoring rumors and using your colleagues to capture and assess those rumors along those two critical dimensions. So again, I would say there are those three things. Yeah. Uh, don't think it's you're going to solve it by trying to convince someone. Second, make sure that there are policies that are clear, concise, and enforced around when the rumors turn into dysfunctional behaviors. And third, prioritize and monitor for rumors. Like you said, trust is such a weird ephemeral thing and there is no standard for if we do A and B, then we will get trust because it really depends on a, a whole bunch of factors, including subjective elements. Yeah, I mean, there are some great models for trust building, but that takes a really skilled hand. And because the nature of trust is one that is fragile, that is, you can spend decades building trust and then you can do something that can torpedo it overnight. And so, so there is the appearance of building trust and then there's genuine trust. And that's what organizations really work on. I mean, if you've worked in any organization, you know, there are people that are truly trusted, that you believe will do what they say that they do, that have your best interest, and also have some competence. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, that's, uh, there's a model called the ABI model of trust, and that's ability, benevolence, and integrity. It happens, it doesn't just happen at the leadership level, it happens at middle managers, it happens at the individual, sort of uh, the lowest person on the totem pole or in the, in the most distant office because trust happens interpersonally. It's not just a top down. It's, it really, it, it, it is a process of co-exploring. I know that sounds kind of airy-fairy. Very, very modern hippy-dippy stuff, yeah. Exactly. But the truth of the matter is that conspiracies are often tied to emotions because we talked earlier about, about the individual, the group, and the organization. So it is an emotionally laden, emotionally tied activity and set of beliefs. And you don't get rid of emotions or change emotions with facts. It's that simple. 
when companies do try to deal with rumors, you know, we've talked about what they have typically done, why it's not, not going to work. And we've suggested sort of these three big buckets, what to do. Uh, they do fall in traps when they're trying to deal with rumors. They can fall into a trap that thinking fairness means hearing out or giving attention equally under the guise to try to be fair, we'll give everyone attention. But the reality is in organizations, inaccurate, uninformed or counterproductive content messages, whatever you want to call it, should not get equal airplay. They just shouldn't. So that's one trap. A second trap, thinking, you know what, if you just get rid of that one rabble rouser, you're good to go, right? But the truth, again, as we talked about, there are systemic challenges that have to be addressed, or a different rumor is going to arise as soon as you get rid of the most vocal. Uh, hoping that rumors will go away, right? Saying, you know, they'll always be around, so just, just going to slough it off. That's another trap, you know, just sort of the complacency, right? I'm just going to allow it to happen. Or here's that happens all the time. Uh, and it's the one and done messages, right? It's the leader that's going to send the email. And you know, that message has been done. It's done. No more, no more rumors. We've talked about this other trap um, that's related to that. And that is that, that leaders who are deploying the messages have credibility. It is tough to tell a leader of an organization or a department or a division, hey, you may not have the credibility that you need in order to dispel or disabuse or even engage with people around rumors. That's a difficult conversation to have. Years ago, I was working for uh, a, an international professional services firm, and they had a rumor mill that was going like gangbusters, an internet that just would not stop. And what they dealt, what they thought, we'll just shut the channel down. We'll just, we'll just take it down, and there won't be any rumors. If you see yourself doing any of those things, giving time where it's not deserved, if you think getting rid of rabble rousers. Uh, and you're good to go, hoping that rumors are going to go away, sort of the one and done, no? or relying on leaders without validating that they have the credibility. If you're doing any of those, stop, take a breath, because you're likely not addressing the uncertainty, the risk, and, and the trust. All right, but what do you do when the leader is crazy? It's they are the ones who are causing this uncertainty. They lash out. They have this ridiculous temper. Maybe they're a drunk. Who knows? And so the atmosphere for rumor mongering and, and more serious things like conspiracy theories is coming from the top. Uh, I know, like I said, we're talking about companies, but I think it, it's the same for families or for sports teams or for any grouping of people. Sometimes the person who is the problem is the one at the top of the pyramid. Uh, a few years ago, I had a client who was a perpetual liar. And he lied about what business was coming in. He lied to people about their compensation. He lied to them about opportunities. There was very little he said that was true. And to your point, Derek, it permeated the organization. Middle managers became very accustomed to lying to him and to one another. Clients were discovered that whenever they heard from someone within the company, they couldn't trust it. So invariably, in an organizational setting, someone has to take the bull by the horns. Now, there are a number of different ways of confronting the boss. And, and again, that's some of that interpersonal discussions that you have to have with them. Again, I want to try to get us away from that notion that we want to 
convince someone of thinking some something else. We're talking about organizations, ideally, and trying to stop them from being fertile ground. But leaders who are adding into the mix, making the rumor mill more messy, more confused, they have to be dissuaded. So it's a matter of, at, at that point, finding people within the organization that have credibility with, with that leader and having some of those difficult conversations. But it doesn't stop there because, again, we're talking about organizational life. So ideally, there are things like honest listening sessions where managers and directors are empowered to demonstrate a willingness to listen to and for rumors rather than closing the door and ignoring them. And I don't mean just doing a pulse survey, right? Again, surveys are often well-intentioned, but they can be problematic. I'm not saying throw them out, but I'm saying tread lightly. And I think we know people people are not always honest on surveys, especially if it's about something like this, you know, like, hey, do you are you the one that's going around telling everybody that, you know, Fred is a cannibal? What we found typically is that employees can uh, uh, have what a bullshit fatigue, right? If they go through a lot of surveys and nothing happens as a result of the surveys, well, they're going to become more skeptical of the surveys, right? Sure. Which just which just creates more fertile ground for crap. Exactly. Now, again, that's not to say that surveys, when done well, aren't useful tools, but they're one data point, right? In understanding an organization, or in this case, where rumors are coming from, who believes them, how deeply entrenched they are, and how to deal with them. So listening sessions are important, demonstrating transparency. And that's not in a manipulative way of pretending to share something that people want to know. So acknowledge that rumors have actually risen about, you know, person X or topic Y. Speak candidly about the discomfort and the impact that these rumors have on the organization. Speak to human consequences, thus demonstrating that you know personal risk. And remember we said earlier about uncertainty, risk, and trust? If organizations demonstrate that they are empathetic, that goes a long way. You know what? I've been heard. That is one of the most consistently found nuggets of all research across organizations, people want to be heard. It addresses the risk, right? Where it gives that sense of transparency. It also is a key foundation to trust building because trust, you need to believe that someone cares about you and what matters to you and what is important to you. And people won't believe that unless you can demonstrate that you've listened to them. You can't know what someone wants unless you've listened to them. So listening, demonstrating transparency, that's really important. Establish a cadence of communications to share information and answer questions. You know, town halls are wonderful things. And at Academy, we've done series on, on town halls. We've got this one-page checklist for, for town halls. But uh, they should be opportunities for leaders to actually listen and acknowledge rumors because they can be addressed quickly then and there. They're not going to go away because, again, there's got to be that fertile ground that has to be addressed. And, you know, you should. You know, you said earlier about uh, a sub-series uh, or a sub-responsibility. I would not give it necessarily to HR. Uh, HR has to be involved because they should have a pulse on the organization. But 
let's face it, in, in the new hybrid work environment where people are working in different geographies and are being Zoomed to death, you can't rely on HR alone to be in every meeting and listening and understanding where people's uh, concerns and fears are. So there needs to be a um, concerted effort for that listening, for that observing. HR can coordinate it, but I think that comms folks, project managers, department heads need to act as the ears, the active ears, and helping people understand what the reality is on the ground, as well as helping the leaders to understand, hey, you know what? There's some challenges here. Why are those happening? Right. And uh, again, I would say to the point that we've hit a few times, credibility to address the rumor has to be looked at. And sometimes because organizations are politically charged, right? Everyone's got skin in the game. Sometimes you have to look externally and use an external consultant who will not bring with them the baggage that, let's say, the head of a department or a, a field manager or even the leader has. So if you can leverage them, they can provide a fish outside of water view to help identify the severity of the rumors, how widely they're promulgated, a strategy to deal with them, and help the leaders address those three foundational things. Again, the lack of trust, uncertainty, and risk. Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I read something recently. It was, it was this whole article on, hey, how do you talk to, you know, Uncle Tony, to the conspiracy theorist in your family or at work or whatever. And it's this, like, first off, don't, like you say, don't try to convince them they're wrong because you're, it's not going to work. And, and why is that? Well, there are a bunch of theories as to why. My personal theory has always been that because we know on an intellectual subconscious, but nonetheless intellectual level. I, I know what I'm saying about Area 51. I believe it's true, but I don't know it's true. And belief is not knowing something. And so I sort of I sort of make up for that fact deficit by putting an emotion and then I really add to the pile by throwing in uh, my own ego, my own sense of self and self-worth. So therefore, when you attack that idea, you're attacking me. It feels like you're attacking me personally. You got to kind of be careful when you're looking at how rumors and by extension, conspiracy theories, which let's face it, conspiracy theories are just in a sort of hyper rumor in many ways. There's no particular evidence. And I think that they thrive in the exact same kind of uh, environment as, as just lower level rumors. You know, Bob has a little bit of a gambling habit. Bob is a cannibal. Bob is an alien from outer space. It's all really just variations on the same theme. But the main thing to keep in mind is that rumors and conspiracy theories thrive in an environment of uncertainty, risk, or a sense of personal risk, and a lack of trust. Then you throw in emotions and ego into it, and holy smokes, pretty soon, Thanksgiving dinner ends in tears for everybody. Uh, super, super interesting stuff, uh, Mr. Brown. I'd like to thank Andrew Brown, co-founder of the Academy of Business Communications for talking to me about this stuff today. It's, it's something I think that's always been a part of at least uh, 20th century 
organizational politics and organizational societies. Uh, and as I've said several times here, by extension, any other grouping of people. But um, it does feel like these days things are getting, there are more of them. Things are getting shriller. Uh, people are more intractable. And so it really is something to uh, to think about, you know. Yes. Uh, it, it, well, uh We've seen a number more people reaching out to us. Yes, we've seen that within organizations that rumors are promulgating, they're moving faster, again, because of technology, because of the uncertainty. Uh, we also find that rumors happen when there's any kind of drastic change. And again, that could be rolling out a new technology. It could be changing work environments, uh, moving, doing an office move. If there is a change, it tends to be the time when rumors start to happen again because of those three things we've talked about: uncertainty, risk, and the lack of trust. So, uh, yeah, it can uh, it can be uh, pretty uh, dicey and even feel a little bit dangerous when you're a part of any group or organization where uh, things are just unsettled and not doing well. But if you want help navigating the stormy seas of innuendo, rumor, and conspiracy theories. You can always talk to Andrew Brand, co-founder of the Academy of Business Communications. Uh, how can people uh, reach out to you if they would like to uh, access some of your resources or maybe even consult with you and say, help, my place has turned into a madhouse. Yeah. Uh, we're happy to help organizations. We have a number of uh, clients that are, are going through rumor management internally and externally, and people can reach us at info at fixmycoms.com. That's if you want to reach out to us by email. Double M, right? That's right. By all means, visit our website at fixmycoms.com. Or if, you, if you've got the typing longevity to type in academyofbusinesscommunications.com, by all means, do that. We can certainly have a discussion to help you put into perspective and provide you with some tools so that you can better assess and manage rumors within your organization. Uh, they have really uh, an astonishing array of resources. So it is, uh, is very worth checking out regardless of whether or not you've got uh, a whole bunch of pick a little, talk a little over the backyard fence going on or not. Uh, there's lots there for everybody. All right, Mr. Brown, thank you again for talking to me today. Thank you, Mr. DeWitt. <laughs> And uh, thank you, everybody out there, for listening. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.